0: said to create we are stepping up to the plate go go can't be late
1: start to tell we about to excel tell them pick up the pace we are just here to create we are stepping up to the plate go go can't be late start to tell we about to excel tell them pick up
0: the pace Welcome back to another episode of Pick Up The Pace podcast you are with your man Magic and I'm Anurun and today's guest is Liam Missum he was born in Blenheim but grew up in Rotorua and attended Rotorua Boys High School he went on to play 85 games for Waikato, 13 games for the Māori All Blacks, 40 tests for the All Blacks and is the most capped chief player in history with 179 caps.
2: He captained the New Zealand Sevens team and won two Commonwealth Games gold medals. He won a Rugby World Cup in 2015, an MPC title with Waikato, co-captained the Chiefs to back
0: back-to-back super rugby titles and captained the Māori All Blacks. He has played for the Toshiba Brave Lupus team in Japan and for Toulon in France and he has now returned to New Zealand. No, my, howdy, my, and welcome to Pick Up the Pace podcast, Liam Messum. Cheers, brothers. <laughs> How's it uh, been back in New Zealand there, bro?
1: Yeah, it's been awesome, bro. It's uh, good to get the fresh air of New Zealand, bro. Um, and just just to spend time with the kids, bro, to be honest. Uh, the, the biggest thing I was missing when I was in France was, was the final. So just to go out there and uh, kick a soccer ball with my oldest and do some wrestling moves with my young fella. It's, uh, it's been good for the heart, bro. Excellent, excellent.
0: Hey, Liam, you were born in Blenheim, but moved to Rotorua at a very young age. Can you share your story of your unique
1: upbringing in Rotorua? Yeah, nah, so uh, at the age of uh, six weeks, I think it was, I uh, got adopted uh, to the missing Fano up uh, up or oh, down on uh, Rotorua. Obviously, we're in Hamilton now, but um, yeah, so got a, come from a family of eight, uh, which us are adopted. Um, so it's a, a big Fano. Uh, A fruit salad As we like to call it Uh, We all come from Different uh, races Different um, Ethnicities And whatnot. So different colours So uh, it's a a Big fruit salad But uh, It was a house Full of love Um, It was an awesome Upbringing bro Uh, My parents Fostered over A thousand children During my time When I was at home bro So that's a lot of kids (laughs) Um, uh, So it was just A house where mum Tried to create A house of love To give uh, Because most of these kids That came through our house Were uh, came up from a, a tough situation or came from a, a difficult situation. So we just uh, mum always created a, a safe environment for those that, those kids to to feel the love, um, which I I believe that that she achieved um, highly.
2: So just touching on your mum Wanda and your dad Lewis, how have they both inspired you as a parent and especially now as a father?
1: Ah, oh, just everything uh, as you guys will know. Uh, being parents, uh, you just learn from from your parents, I guess. Um, and like I said, it was a house full of love, so uh, that's why I just try and rub off onto my children. And it's not just my children that it's it's rubbed off on. It's uh, people in the community and and people um, everywhere, I guess. And and who I am as a person, um, my parents have always been big on giving back to the community and um, helping others in need. Um, and sort of that's what I believe my calling's been. Uh, for a we while well know, it's giving back and serving and helping others. So uh, it all stems from, from, the, from the, the tree. Um, as I said, the apple don't fall far from the tree. So uh, yeah, I've just literally just got a little rubbing of, of their love um, and I'm trying to do my part.
0: Hey, we heard you played a lot of soccer, football as a young fella and you were younger yep. for the same. Ended up playing for the all at the Olympics. So what, at what
1: point did you switch to rugby? Well, oh, to be fair, bro, I, was, I, I probably was better than him uh, at football and probably could have made that Olympic team too. I'll probably be sitting here doing this podcast in uh, Barcelona playing with uh, <laughs> Missy. Um, no, but the old man's from, uh, from England, so all us kids uh, grew up playing football. Um, and obviously, I, I was a bit big uh, playing soccer. Um, and just one day at Intermediate, I think, what's that? I don't know what year that is. I think it's around age 11 or 12. My um, mates from school picked me up and uh, took me to club rugby. Um, Their training One day And then That was it Never turned back And now I try and kick a soccer ball And pff, Bloody uncle is um, My young fella's into football Bro He, he loves it He's um, Sleeps in a soccer shirt Sleeps with a soccer ball um, So I'm going to Slowly try and Twist his arm To, to come over to rugby But uh, Yeah Like I said bro My mate just picked me up from school one day And that was it Never looked back
2: So when you got to Rotorua Boys High School, you cracked the first 15 at a pretty young age. What were some of your memorable uh, achievements, sporting achievements at Rotorua Boys? And also, just talk about some of your mates and what it was like going to school
1: there. Yeah, bro, I loved loved, um, high school. It was uh, probably the greatest time of your life. Uh, You get up to mischief without getting into too much trouble. (laughs) Um, But yeah, bro, it was just all footy, footy, footy when I was uh, at Boys High. Um, Probably not a thing you want to be telling kids now, so... I know um, education plays a a big role. And for me, that's probably one thing that I did regret, that I didn't really take my education seriously. It was just straight rugby, rugby, rugby. And um, I guess it's paid off for me now. But um, like I said, that's one thing I did regret. But like like I said, bro, my time at Boys High was awesome. It's a a great way to learn, um, you know, the school of hard knocks, I guess. Um, You know, we would play with men. we We would play club rugby. Um, and also first 15 rugby, so we're playing up against men And, and club rugby in, in Rotorua and the Bay of Plenty is, is all tribal it's, uh, it's not like your uh, normal sort of club rugby in the, rest of the country It's uh, tribe versus tribe, so it's pretty um, pretty fierce and pretty um, pretty physical So uh, like I said, I love my time in, uh, in uh, Rotorua And uh, that's why I learnt, uh, I guess, my my, my trade Or some, the start of my trade, I should say, my apprenticeship
0: Gordon uh, Titchen selected you uh, for the New Zealand Sevens when you were just 16 years old, but you ended up having a very successful Sevens career, later becoming captain. What were some of your proudest moments in the All Black Sevens jersey?
1: Oh, man, there's, there's so many uh, I just can't remember, but um, I love the game of Sevens. I um, still do. Uh, I've got a, a lot to thank for the Sevens. Um, it's given me a skill set um, that uh, I guess the new age loose Ford has now. Um, but some memories, it's just... Probably, probably the the trainings the the, the, the first thing that comes to mind if I think about the sevens, is how hard the training were and how physically demanding it was. But it sort of taught me from a very young age how important work ethic was and how important mental toughness was. Um, but you know, oh, just just the family feel that's in, in that in that uh, team like the culture is is surreal. Like it's, it's hard to explain unless issue you're been in that culture because. It's so small, just a group, a small group of guys, but you're working hard every day, going through some pretty dark places, and, and that gets you pretty tight as a team. And uh, you, bro, you get to travel. I was traveling around the world when I was 17, 18, 19, you know, and that's, bro, that's you can't even dream of that. So I was very lucky at a young age to, to be able to do that.
2: Just touching on your sevens career a, a little bit more, you won a gold medal for New Zealand at the 06 and 2010 Commonwealth Games. Uh, what made these moments so special to you? Like going to a massive, uh, almost like an Olympics, not quite an Olympics, but Commonwealth Games and uh, sharing uh, the whole event with other major sports people all around the world. How was all of that?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, oh, it was an awesome experience um, because, like I said, the, the seventh team's a small team. I think it was like 12 players, maybe in two or three management. But when you go to Commonwealth Games and Olympics, um, that team turns into a team of three or four hundred athletes. You know, you're one big, team now, so uh, just about to experience uh, going to the food hall and um, mingling with other athletes and other sports, and, and like I say, you become that one team, and uh, the New Zealand Health, as they call it, do an awesome job making sure other teams um, intermingle and make sure that you're connecting um, with other athletes and other teams, so um, it was an awesome experience, um, I was lucky enough to experience uh, the Olympics too, even though I didn't get to play, but I got to experience that for a few days, and like the Commonwealth Games was awesome. And then Olympics was like, man, that was next level. And it was just a whole new eye opener. i seen the greatest athletes in the world. all Everyone just sits in the food hall, bro, and just <laughs> stares at each other. All, all just connecting and talking and um, just buzzing out. Like you see like the world's fastest man. Like so Usain Bolt walking through the, the food hall and everyone just like dead silence just watching him walk through. You know, Stuff like that. Just things you would never expect to see.
0: You've played 13 games for the Māori All Blacks and you've also kept on the side, but you've said this about the team. We've got the same blood, so we're all whānau. How did the experience playing and leading the Māori All Blacks help develop you as a player, a person, and as a Māori?
1: Yeah, well, bro, it's, uh, for me, it's, it's the greatest team to play for because um, it's also the easiest team to play for because, like I said, we're connected by blood, so straight away... Um, there's that bond straight away and nothing can, can break that. Um we all got the same DNA. We all come from Maui, so we all got a little bit of Maui in us, but uh, uh you can just go there and you express yourself. And rugby is the last last thing on the list if you get what I mean. Like um first thing is tikanga Māori and, and learning about who you are and um, learning about your identity, your fucker Um there's so many guys in, in that team that don't know their papa or don't know their pipiha so the first thing you've got to do when you come into the team is you've got to stand up in front of the team and say your pipiha and if you don't know it or if you read it off a bit of paper you know the komato is like no kaumato fitu is like go back and then you've got to make sure that you can stand up in front of the team say it off by heart come from the heart knowing who you are and where you come from and when your whānau comes from because at the end of the day you're representing your whānau your iwi your tribe um, and you're going out there and, and like i said rugby's the last thing so the boys learn about everything about tikanga Māori, um, waiata, karakia, um, the food, like the foods that also, like when you come from a, um, a high-performance professional um, team for the last six or seven months and you're constantly, you know, just eating the good kai as you should do, the good fuel, you come into the Māori, boil up, hangi, steam pudding, <laughs> seafood, like no matter where you go, you know, there's always, the, there's some whānau that's just going to come and bring in all the, all the kai, mutton birds, anything you can think of, bro, it's there. And the boys are just hoeing into it. Skin folds are probably going out off the roof, but uh, like I said, it's all part of it. And when it comes to the game, uh, literally we just go out there, we express ourselves and, uh, you know, the Māori All Blacks has, I think, one of the highest successful uh, win ratios there is in in World Rugby. uh, We've been in some some awesome teams. I remember 2010, our centenary year, Beating England and Ireland was like, but right, that, that's something I would always remember because I just remember the whole country were behind us. Um, we're doing it for, for not just New Zealand people, we're doing it for our people. Um, and you can just see our boys inspiring the next uh, group of young Māori to be proud to be Māori and be proud to, to put on that fern and, and represent uh, that Māori jersey.
2: So we ask all of our guests this. What do you remember most about your first test in the All Blacks jersey? It was against Scotland at Murrayfield, uh, in Edinburgh, back in 2008. Let's talk about the days leading up to the game and also your memories of the game itself.
1: Yeah, it's not a lot I can remember. Um, during the the days leading into the, the test match, uh, uh, all I remember was being freezing cold and dark at like 2pm, uh, which is <laughs> pretty depressing. But... um. I do remember the, the food, um, cauliflower soup. I've never had it before and it was like best thing I've ever had in my life at the time. But um, but getting to the game, um, my family, some of my brothers and sisters came to the game, which was awesome to, to have. them in my first Test match, but I remember, I think it might have been D-Day or like the Anzac Day, um, Armistice Day or something like that. Um, forgive me if I'm wrong. Um, but I remember the whole stadium went pitch black and then there's a lone bagpipe guy at the end of the stadium on top of the roof and just playing at bagpipes and just like the goosebumps and the and like that sort of eerie feeling. Where I was just like, what the heck is this? You know, and I was just like freaking out. And then the whole time in my head, I was like, please don't stuff up the haka. Please don't stuff up the haka. Like I played for the Māori All Blacks here. I come from from Vegas. So, it's, you know, we are brought up doing haka and all I can remember is like, don't stuff up the haka, don't stuff up the haka. Um, got through the haka. And then to be honest, bro, it was the quickest 80 minutes of my life. It just just went like that and um, I can't really remember too much of the game. Made my tackles, made a few ball carries and it was all over just like
0: that. From 2008 to 2011, you only played six tests for the All Blacks and narrowly missed out on the selection for the 2011 Rugby World Cup squad. What were some of the strategies that you used to motivate and overcome some of these selection setbacks early in your All Blacks career?
1: No, nah, so I've had uh oh, you know, I've had a, a lot of struggle throughout my career and a, a lot of setbacks that people may not know or, or do know. But um, you know, the old man always used to tell me, um, you know, God always has a bigger plan for you. Um, you know, that's not a super religious guy, but I always just had to believe in that and, and have faith in, in what he was saying and, and just trust what he said and and just knew that there's a, a better path for me or that something that's gonna be better for me at the other end of it if I just get through this the struggle street. So Um, you'd have to take it on the chin Um, I also remember Eric Rush always used to say it's only only one man's opinion, Uh, the next man's opinion might like you but in 2011 that one man's opinion was uh, pretty important (laughs) but um, yeah I just always remember the old man always saying that whatever disappointment happened, um, even at high school he would always say um, "You know, there's a a better plan for you and I just had to to fully believe that trust it, Uh, take it on the chin put my head down and and just keep working hard for, for the next road ahead
2: and from 2012 to 2015, you played 34 tests and eventually established yourself as a regular starter. So looking back at your All Blacks career, what were some of your most, um, what were some moments that sort of stood out for you the most when you played for the All Blacks?
1: Um, probably oh, was a couple, 2009 or 10, I think it was, uh, a game versus France and Dunedin. Uh, we lost and it was probably the worst game or the worst game I ever played in an all-black jersey and that was <laughs> also went downhill from there um, but I, I just remember it because that was my worst game but I also remember that I would promise myself I'll never ever play like that again in an all-black jersey um, I got some awesome learnings and um, awesome growth from that game um, at the time I didn't see it as that I was like um, you know I was sort of ridiculed out to the media and it was all my fault this and that and, and to be fair you know, I played like shit and um, that's just how it was, um, but like I said, I, I learned from that. I, I grew from that, and I promised myself I'll never um, play a game like that again in all black jersey. So um, that one really sticks out because that's the one that um, sort of hurt the most, but sort of I learned the most out of it as well. And um, it's also hard to beat the 2015 World Cup. Just uh, the highs that we went through as a team, the hard work that we went through. Um, pretty much 90% of that squad. Uh, we we're together for three or four years, um, so we um, created this real close bond with each other. Uh, went through a lot of hard work with each other, because uh, one thing about doing hard work with each other, you, you get real close as a team. And I experienced that with the sevens. So we've done a lot of hard work at the, with, the, with the All Black boys, um, and yeah, just to see all that hard work come off um, at the end, and uh, it was just it was a whole squad effort. It wasn't just the the 23 or the 15 they were playing. Week in, week out, it was a whole squad effort, all the boys putting in the effort to make sure that um, our our brothers were successful uh, come game day.
0: You were co-captain of the Chiefs with Craig Clark back in uh, 2012 and 2013 when you won back-to-back championships. How would you describe your leadership style and what made the co-captain model so successful at the Chiefs?
1: Yeah, the co-captain scenario the Chiefs worked really well because me and uh, Wicker Craig were uh, total opposites um, Craig is very methodical um, Takes a very long time to answer a question Thinks about things before he, he speaks uh, Where I'm the total opposite I just say whatever's on my heart And I'll just say it um, and I can get quite passionate and, and quite emotional uh, Which is good sometimes But then it's also good to have the other side of it So me and Craig just balance each other out so well um, Weka was really good at talking at referees too um, At game time And he had, like I said he's got a real calming voice so he would be um, he could calm the situation with the ref where sometimes I'll be like
0: "Oh ref! you
1: know and, and sometimes that's not good um, for you for your team when you, when you sort of speak to rest like that so I learned a lot um, being co-captain with with Craig and I learned to I learned how to control my emotions and control uh, my voice and sort of read the situation or read the room um, and have a sort of calming influence when I needed it and I and I think I've done the same with Weka. I think he sort of got a bit more passion and a bit more emotion come his way uh, with the boys. But with, with being co captains, uh, we, we had an awesome leadership group those two years. Um, we had six or seven blokes that could be captain, like a captain just flips, flips the coin um, at the start of the game and, and speaks to the media. Um, that's how we saw it. Uh, we had six or seven captains um, out there doing, like I said, doing what we needed to do to, to make sure that we were successful.
2: After being a part of the successful 2015 World Cup team, you then moved over to Japan to play for the Toshiba Brave Lupus and then over to France to play for Toulon. After another brief stint back here in New Zealand, how would you describe your experience living and playing in Japan and France and how does it compare to playing in New Zealand?
1: Oh, bro, to be honest, it was awesome. It was a real eye-opener. I remember when I was, oh, wasn't a young fella, but I remember someone talking to us about getting stuck in that New Zealand bubble. You're like you sort of roll your eyes like, yeah, whatever. Um, like I said, don't get caught in a bubble, but it wasn't until I moved out to Japan for the first time leaving New Zealand and, and my eyes just opened up to the whole world and just like, mm, there's a whole new world out here, apart from Hamilton. <laughs> it was a bit different from Hamilton City Lights, to Tokyo City Lights, let me tell you that. but. Um, now nah, I love my time in, in Tokyo um, The people, the food, the culture um, Everything about it, the The boys at Toshiba are really welcoming um, The thing about I loved about Japan was that I was playing there with some of my, my best mates That I've played with since I was 18, 19 At Waikato with uh, Richard Kahui um, Stephen Donald um, Tanire Lerima was there Stephen Bates was there um, And I was lucky enough that Corey Jane came as well So I played a lot of rugby with him in the All Blacks and created a real strong relationship with uh, Michael Leach, um, who's, like, pretty much God in Japan. If uh, people don't know who Michael Leach is, like, that poor bloke can't go anywhere in Japan. Like, he has to wear a turban. He has to disguise himself as an Indian in Japan, <laughs> which, is, which isn't probably the smartest idea because I don't think there's a lot of Indians walking around in, in Tokyo. But, uh, like I said, it was, it was an awesome time. And then, obviously, I went to France. And then, again, it just my whole... Eyes of the world just opened up even more because Europe is a massive, massive place with so much history, so much culture, so much to learn, and some beautiful parts of the world that I thought I'll never ever see. Like I would sit at home, like in uh, Toulon, I was living right on the Mediterranean, so I was just like every day I'll sit out, have my 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 tea or have lunch or breakfast, and I'd just look out on the Mediterranean. And go like just pinch myself, but I'll be like, what am I doing here? You know, like I just, I just couldn't believe it, and um. Food, the food in France. Like, I thought the food in Japan was the best food I'll ever have in my life. When I got to France, I was just like, watch out, skinfold. day." I had to check my weight every, uh, every day to make sure I wasn't getting over 110. So, at the baguette, the, the humble bakery. Like, you never, ever experienced the bakery like you will if you go to France. Um, I think the World Cup's there in 2023. So, you're listening to this podcast and you go to um France, you need a first first stop you here to go to Is a patisserie and get yourself A baguette, a eclair A milfoy, croissant, plain everything And just go for it and I promise you You will not be disappointed So um, like The culture, like I said, culture, lifestyle um, Nothing beats it, like I think the French Live the best lifestyle there is um, They sort of work for pleasure They don't work for money, um, if that makes sense um, Especially in the south where I was living um, It's all about family and lifestyle um And just working, I guess, for the sake of working uh but footy wise um footy wise is a lot different um the pace of the game here in New Zealand is a lot quicker um and I guess the skill level with with most players here is at a real high level um at, at france um it's very physically demanding and challenging um because like I'm a sort of a big guy here in New Zealand, but in France, I was the smallest in our four pack um we had. Massive blokes running around over two metres tall, 120 clicks. Um, So week in, week out, you're smashing each other for 40-odd games. Um, That can take a a toll on you physically and and mentally to get up week in, week out. Um, And another thing, if you ever experience rugby in France, the crowd is like next level. Like I've never ever experienced another. I don't think I ever will again. Like I've played in Twickenham, sold out. I've played at Alice Park, sold out for the All Black spot. playing in a small 10, 15,000-seat um, stadium in France with uh, fans throwing off flares, the band playing, whistling, cheering. It's just like, man, it's, it's an unbelievable um, experience um, and, and something I'll always remember. So it's a whole sort of package in France when you're there. Um, I, like I said, I love my time there, but unfortunately, because uh, of the coronavirus and whatnot, uh, my time got cut short. But um, as they say in France, c'est la vie, that's life. So uh, we just move on.
0: You've had one professional boxing match winning against Aussie Reece Sullivan back in 2015. Anthony Mundine helped you train for the belt. How much did you learn from Anthony and Sonny Bull and what made you step into the ring? Because boxing is obviously completely different. You're going from a team sport to a solely individual sport. It's just you and yourself.
1: Yeah, I, I've loved boxing since I was a kid. Um, I think boxing is probably the earliest sporting memory that I have growing up. Um, my, my old man loves, loves boxing and I remember sitting by his feet Every Friday night and watching the Friday night fights um, in America, um, or on Saturday, or whatever it was, come New Zealand time. So I, I think that is the earliest sporting thing I can remember. So I've always grown up watching boxing. Um, done boxing training when I was a kid, um, and then obviously the fight for life sort of thing. Charity fights happened, and it was just came to a timing thing, and, and because I just wanted to jump in the ring and, and test myself and see if I could actually do it. And um, I just love the the, the mental challenge because. In the in the square ring, it's just you versus your opponent. There's there's no one else, and you've only got these here to to protect you. And you have got to sort of try and bob and weave and, and duck the punches. But uh, more times than not, you're getting hit. But um, you know, I just enjoyed the challenge of uh, putting myself in a real un- uncomfortable position. And and the more you understand the science of boxing, I know most people just want to see big knockouts and, and whatnot. But if you can really understand the the science of boxing, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful sport and you see guys like Mayweather. People pay him up because they don't like the, his style or they don't like his mouth. But if you actually watch him box, it's like that's a beautiful thing to see. So um, yeah, I love. I just love the the challenge of, of boxing and getting in that ring and, and really testing myself.
2: You've already done a, a lot of work, a lot of good work in the community with youth in particular. You've got an honorary degree in sport and exercise science and uh, at Wintech, and you've been a TV presenter on the the big sports show Code on Mighty TV. What are you up to uh, next, Liam? Now, now that you're back in New Zealand, you're not going to do a Dan Carter, are you? The Chiefs going to be back in the Chiefs again, or?
1: The I'll plan? tell you what. I won't be going to the Blues, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that, bro. It's um, in my DNA, bro. Red, yellow, and black. Um, yes, I'm just back here, bro. Um, just being daily daycare, bro. It's been awesome. Like, like that's one thing I've really missed is is just spending time with the kids. And took my my young fella to the soccer training this morning, which was uh this afternoon after school which I just absolutely love. So yeah, just daily daycare. Um hopefully get into some club rugby. Uh, put on the uh the uh twenty one mil sprigs for, for the club dirt, club mud and, and get out there um and, and see what happens happens I guess. Um hopefully some provincial rugby um if it comes about. Um yeah, so just doing life as it should be at the moment. So not too stressed about what's happening. Just Daily daycare, keep up the training, and get stuck into some uh, some grassroots footy.
2: So you still got a bit of rugby left in you, there, Liam?
1: Oh, 100 percent, bro. Age is just a number. What's DC? I played with Rushy until he was about forty-two, so I can't can't give up just yet. Yeah. I have to, I can still go and and like, bro, my my passion and hunger is still there to play. I think it's just kind of when you get to my age, it's just more of a mental challenge doing the same stuff every day for so long you know but i was just finished reading a book and it's talking about you got to love um you got to fall in love with boredom um because like it you just keeps keep repetitive repetitive and and i love it um you know i just spent two nights training with the Waikato, um high performance kids and the academy kids and it's like the same message i've heard for the last 20 years but I, it's the same message i keep loving to hear and and just keep pushing myself and when you get to my age and you're training with uh, 18 and 19 year olds. It's more of a, a pride thing. You like, you're like, we've <laughs> done some fitness, and I wasn't last. And I was like, you know, they sort of proud, put the chest up. And I was looking around. I was running with the main group, um, doing some um, shuttles, and then I was like, looking around, jumped in the gym, still pumping out some weights, and you know, showing these young followers up. So uh, it's good though. It keeps me on my toes, and it keeps me um, energetic, and keeps me excited to to keep uh, keep pushing hard and, and keep showing these young followers up, or try to show these young followers up. <laughs> Hey, you have a
0: fun of your own now with two boys. Tell us a bit about your wife, Angela, and your boys and how you've all motored, motivated and supported each other over the years with such a busy career.
1: Yeah, but I honestly don't know how she does it. I just don't know how um, rugby partners or wives do it in general, bro, because uh, we're away a lot of the time. Um, so my, my family back here in New Zealand while I was in France and I came home. And the last time I seen my my little boy, he was like, he was my little boy, you know? And then I picked him up from daycare, and I seen this, I wouldn't even say little taller. I just seen this solid little kid, and he was, burn! I was like, what the hell? <laughs> he just ran up, tackled me, and it was just a straight ball of solid just went, boom, hit me, and I was just like, where's my little boy? And like, last I left, it was this little squishy little three-year-old cuddly little thing and now he's this big four solid little monster just running around. And same with my 10-year-old. Like, he was like this high and he shot up and he's like up to my shoulders and I'm just like, you know, blown away. So um, I honestly don't know how um, they do it. She does it. It's, um, it blows my mind and so much respect and um, I can't do what I get to do without them holding it down um, and locking it down and um, looking after the those kids.
2: Hey, it's all out there, and, uh, and people have seen it online and that. But your nickname, Hunger. What's
1: the story behind that? Yeah, well, it's a long story, so I'll keep it short. But a lot of people think it's hunger because of hunger. So I don't pass the rugby ball. <laughs> yeah. It's not that. But it's um, hunger because I always want to try and get the ball. But it's um, oh, I'm, I'm really strict on the way I eat and the way I look after myself. So I only eat boiled chicken and broccoli. Like one, that's disgusting if you think about it. And two, I, I had no um, knowledge of food back then, so I just ate it. Lost a lot of weight doing it, though, so it was good for me. Um, anyway, I went to uh, the White boys when I first moved up here, and a young fella and uh, a bunch of older players looked after me. Keith Lawne was one of them. I lived at his house, and he took me out to dinner uh, with our uh, lunch with the the older players, and we went to some sloppy like Chinese restaurant. Um, and if you guys know who Keith lawan is, um, his nickname Sumo, and his ass is like that's the screen, probably that big or maybe even bigger. Um, so it's probably not a good person to, to be a role model with. But uh, yeah, they took me to the restaurant and just ordered all the sloppy, greasy, and I I have never had grease in that for like three, four years. So I was just like looking at it. And they asked me if I was hungry. I was like, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good. We were there for about three or so hours. Anyway, I was so, I was starving though. My guts was rumbling. I was just like looking at the food and I almost broke eggs. It. Like, I'm pretty proud of like, I'll try never try to break with anything. I just, I almost went for the the chicken Yao Ming and I was just like, nah, nah. So anyway, got home. First thing I did when I got home was make a protein shake and boil some chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked in the house and was like, what the F are you doing? He goes, oh yeah, your, your nickname is Hungry. Uh, your, your nickname's Hungry. So that sort of just filtered through the team and he told the story and they couldn't believe it. Um, and then my island brothers, Sidovini Sivivatu, couldn't say Hungry. He keeps saying hunger hunger you know, obviously coming straight from Fiji, so it went from hungry to hunger because uh the my island brothers couldn't pronounce hungry the the full full thing.
2: It all makes sense now. I'm just looking back at, at this interview and this podcast. We've gone from uh baguettes, uh
1: cauliflower, boil yeah. <laughs> up.
2: What's next? <laughs> this, it this all makes sense, but... <laughs>
1: brother. This is all true, and the the thing is, like, if you really know who I am and who. And me is like, like I said, I really look after myself, the way I eat, like I'm, I eat really, really strict and I always have, it's just a lifestyle that I, I, that I enjoy um, yeah some, most of it's for performance and whatnot but most of it's just to live a, life, a healthy lifestyle, but like bro, when it's my cheat day or my cheat few days bro, it's on, like what's your from What's your go-to? Oh, it's a hard one, like when I was in France bro, I'd always go get a pizza, like the pizzas are like Next level pizza, but then I always go to the bakery and it's, it's called a milfoy. It's uh, well, they call it a custard slice here in New Zealand, but it's like proper pastry, proper custard, pastry custard, and then like a white sort of icing on top. And I'll just bro, I'll just <laughs> this is what I'll do in France. I'll go to because there's a bakery every like 100 meters. So I'll go bakery, get a croissant, drive to the next bakery, get a milfoy, drive to the next bakery, and I'll just do that like three or four times, and I have to stop myself. I'm like bro, just stop. You know, um, and then when I come here to Hamilton, it's always Mama's Donuts. So if you're ever in Hamilton, um, you got to come get some Mama's Donuts because they're the best donuts in the world. Um, and just a classic burger from uh, Burgerfield or something, bro. So when I go, I go, I don't stop. But the thing is, when I do stop, I can go straight back to um, boiled broccoli and chicken. <laughs> oh, man, you're making me hungry now, bro. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> hey, Liam, before we uh, wrap up the podcast, um, we've got a bit of a challenge for you. Uh, it's called Pick Up the Pace Challenge, so we're going to ask one topic, into that one topic, you've got 10 seconds to give us nine answers, so if we said name nine countries of the world, you'd say New Zealand, United States, Russia, things like that, so um, we're going to flip this question a little bit, it'll give you a little bit of a clue, it's got something to do with sports, if that helps. Yeah, Already got the timer bro? Yeah, i got it. Oh, okay, 10 seconds, seconds. nine, you've got, you got to answer nine to one topic, here we go. Liam Messum. Well, Rotorua, name for me. In 10 seconds, nine NRL teams. Go. Uh,
1: Warriors, Cowboys, Broncos, uh, Roosters, Sharks, Dragons, um, Souths, uh, Parramatta. Oh, one more. Manly Eagles. Oh! oh! The last second. You got like 9.5
2: seconds. You got it. You got it. Yeah. But you've done nine in like seven seconds. Yeah. Yeah, I know.
1: I know. I just yeah. to be there. Oh, I'm, a big, I'm oh. a big NRL fan bro, I'm a big NRL Oh man, fan. I must have, but I
0: don't think you're going to get that You had 0.5 of a second to go Yeah, nah, nah, it. Nah.
1: I'm a big big warriors bro, day one day one. I've kept the faith ever since bro and keep keeping it
2: <laughs> Shot brother, shot <laughs> Anyway, ngā mihinu kia koe e hoa uh, Nō te or o ngai tuhoi Nō reira, ngā mihinu kia koe me tō no uh, mai, hoki mai kia Aotearoa uh, Hoki mai ki te taha i tō whanau, Tō wahine me or tama erua. Lord Liam, thank you so much for joining us here at the Pick Up The Pace podcast. Thank you so much and take care and maybe we'll see you back on the paddock again soon. Kia ora brothers. kia ora bro. Kio ora, kio ora, bro.